0: Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hello, Susan. I'm here. Hi, and we also have a very special guest today, uh, Lou Rosenfeld, founder of Rosenfeld Media. Uh, they produce dozens of UX books, um, Enterprise UX conference. I'm sure we'll talk about uh, some of this stuff later. And uh, he's, he, he was also the co-author of um, Information Architecture, uh, which was the Polar Bear book. Is a long time i a guy but maybe not so much anymore that sounded uh, when he told me that i was like cryptic but um <laughs> hello lou hi great to be here yeah thanks Thank thanks for thanks for showing up
1: all right you should explain what the loon i i think a lot of people know what the polar bear book means but some people might not
2: yeah so um with peter morville uh uh i wrote uh what was uh, I think the initial the the initial the original title was Information Architecture for the World Wide Web, and that came out way back when 19, uh, I believe it was ninety eight, and uh, it just came out uh, a couple of years ago in its fourth edition, and uh, we've renamed it Information Architecture for the Web and Beyond, and um, uh, it's one of the books that really put information architecture on the map and and put that practice on the map uh and uh you know so if people know me it's probably because they they're familiar with the book
1: well but now you're famous for other things
2: (laughs) oh i don't know i'm lightly famous (laughs) for many things but i'm not sure how much good that does but um (laughs) yeah you know uh it you know i guess the the art for me uh you know, started off in librarianship, and that led me to thinking about how library science could help save the world as the information revolution crashed down upon us. And we took a lot of those principles from librarianship and tried to bring them over to the the world of technology and the internet. And uh, we wrote Information Architecture, uh, you know, again in the mid 90s, and. Um, Peter and I had a a small firm called Argus Associates in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, that did just that and uh, was was kind of the seminal IA firm for many years. And uh, then I was a solo consultant uh, uh, for a while in the wilderness uh, of sorts. But, uh, you know, that started around 2000, also around the time we started the Information Architecture Summit, which is, I think, on its 19th or 20th year now. Also, the Information Architecture Institute a year or two later, about 2002, which is the Professional Association for Information Architecture folks. But uh, in that decade of the aughts, I already felt like IA was really important, but part of a bigger puzzle uh, of user experience design. And I got very involved in that That community as it grew, tried to help uh, get those various tribes of... Uh, information architects and interaction designers and usability people and so forth together through an an initiative called the user experience network which tried and ultimately failed to be glue for all those associations and local groups and so forth that were really ultimately trying to work uh, for the betterment of UX Uh, and then in the um, you know so I was working as a a solo consultant doing mostly IA for large enterprises um, did some barnstorming with Steve Kruge, where we would teach one-day workshops in tandem uh, in different cities, and, uh, but wanted to do something else, wanted to have a product to show for it. Because uh, you, as you, you know, I'm sure, Susan, one of the frustrating things about consulting is um, it's, sort of, it's always somebody else's problem, and other people's problems are interesting, but not as interesting as your own. I always wanted to work on my own products where I could actually have an impact. So I started Rosenfeld Media as a hobby to publish books on UX. There was really nothing, you know, no, no dedicated publishers for the uh, growing field. And so our first book was Mental Models by Andy Young. We did Luke, Luke web Webform Design, and it started to pick up speed. We're now up to, I think we did, we're about to put out Meeting Design by Kevin Hoffman, which is our 33rd, 34th book. And along the way, we started doing conferences, because conferences are are a form of expertise, just like books are, and it's often the same people. Uh, And so we do a couple of virtual conferences a year on different topics, but uh, maybe more importantly, we started doing the Enterprise UX Conference. We're coming up on our fourth one. That's this June uh, 13th through 15th in San Francisco. And if you want to learn more, enterpriseux.net, and uh, we also launched the Design Ops Summit on this new thing called Design Operations. And that started in uh, November here in New York City, and we sold out the first one. And we're, we're working on uh, finding dates and a venue for uh, this fall. And if you want to know more about Design Ops, come to designopssummit.com.
0: And, okay. Uh, I, I have is so, that enough of a, is that a, a Oh I, my God. Over. Yeah. Sorry. I have no, 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 no. I have so, so many
1: questions.
0: Yeah. We have, we have a lot of questions. Right. I, right, I know okay, I have two. To go first? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Lou, this is, this is a dealer's deal, uh, dealer's choice. Would you <laughs> rather have a question about IA or a question about uh, kind of conferences as a, as a whole?
2: I'm happy to 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 do my best with both, but I'm, you know, you know, it's funny. I get IA questions. People say, you know, in, in your book, on page seventy six. Oh no no, <laughs> and, no no
0: no no. And uh,
2: I really, I, I never was like a detail-oriented information architect. I was more always more at a strategic level, and so you know, like. When when someone asks me about the right way for a taxon in me to be designed, I, I start to sweat. Although my I feel question like, has like,
0: nothing to do with taxons, I probably. Right.
2: But you're you're welcome to to try
0: me, and, and you, at least you won't <laughs> see me sweat. So so you're going information architecture then?
2: We can do both.
0: Okay. We have an hour, right? We, yeah. We do. Okay. Um, so I I was just you know. I've met a couple information architecture people, and um, libraries, you're not the first person uh, to, to to say, uh, oh, library science. Um, and I, I think that's, I, I remember being in college and learning that that was a major and being interested by it, um, but I I couldn't see how it was useful outside of the library system. Of course, I was young, 20. Um, so in what, like... Uh, In some ways, it feels like information architecture is getting more popular, and it's certainly becoming more recognized, in my opinion, Um, and in a lot of ways, I think it's, in in the same way you said, it's uh, becoming rolled into a bunch of other stuff in the same way that, for example, and we see in our business a lot, right or wrong, a lot of companies we work with are rolling UX into the agile framework. And do do you think that the kind of generalization of UX is a good thing or is it troubling? And does my question make any sense whatsoever?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a bunch of things. So let me try to unpack it. Yeah. Um, So first of all, librarianship, you know, uh, there's a there's a difference. This is like one of the things that really frustrated me about the library world was um, a focus on the venue, namely libraries, as opposed to the practice, which is librarianship. Mm. And like any other field, uh, where you know the te- technology changes the, the the name of the game, and you. You know uh, although I'm a big believer in the value of libraries and I think we've seen in the last thirty years a lot of change in what libraries are, especially in public libraries to communities um, the, the, the the traditional model that a lot of us were expecting to work in when we got out of library school uh, is it, not what it was it's not about physical structures filled with physical information and you know the the beauty of Librarianship is is the emphasis on enabling humans to access information, and that has relevance everywhere, especially in the digital era. But if you only tie it up in physical spaces, traditional physical spaces, then you you dramatically hamstring its future and your own if that's how you're going to pursue your career. So, you know, I, I remember you know just feeling really frustrated uh, say, with the focus on libraries and. Um, I never necessarily wanted to be a a librarian in a physical library. I've done some of that in my career early on, but um, it just seems like there's so much to offer the world when you are willing to free yourself from the shackles of of traditional metaphors for how the work is done. So, um, you know, think about librarianship as, again, this practice uh, dedicated to helping people access information to, under, to find it, to understand it, to understand its value, to look at it critically, where, where, how could that not be relevant or even more relevant than it's ever been in this day and age? Uh, I, I hope people feel that. And again, what we were trying to do was say, all right, for all you people building these digital libraries of sorts, what are you going to do when you have too much information? How are you going to go through it? What are you going to do when you have to make judgments about information where some of it has more value than other types of information how are you going to figure that out how are you going to figure out what to do when you're encountering rot which is a a, an acronym that i learned from uh, an old client stands for redundant outdated and trivial information so you get your information (laughs) in good shape today (laughs) wait 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 a month it's suddenly starting to rot so these are all big challenges that we're very kind of Going to quickly hit people and that was obvious to us in the mid 90s and that's what our t- our professors have been teaching us in library school the information revolution is nigh and you're going to have a role in it but they never really told us what that role would be hmm. and so that's why we wrote that book um now you were, then you were talking about well how are these things all seem to be rolling up with each other and you actually made a, an interesting statement about information architecture growing in importance we're actually seeing information architecture or information architects feeling the same pain that librarians felt 20 years ago. Mm. We feel like there's fewer job descriptions called information architect. Mm. Uh, And that worries a lot of us, just like the librarians felt worried. That doesn't mean information architecture is less relevant, it's probably more relevant than ever.
0: Right, right, right. right.
2: uh, It's just, again, we get caught up in titles and career paths and expectations. And if we can break ourselves out of that, we're in good shape. I just was meeting with a, a group of people yesterday, had lunch with them from Bloomberg. Really interesting organization. Um, I'm sure anyone who's had any experience with them uh, understands that. Uh, what, what a what a visionary company when it comes to how information is used. And You know, their take was, you know, we don't necessarily we're not really looking to hire information architects anymore, but we we feel that information architecture is part of pretty much everything every one of us has to do. Now, the only, the only risk there is, uh, you know, if no one is focused on it, there's a, a chance it falls through the cracks because it's less tangible, it's more conceptual than a lot of other practices in UX. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not worried about it. I, as long as more and more people are exposed to it and taking responsibility for it, I think we're, we'll be in good shape.
1: So one of the things that that I um, that haunts me, I guess, maybe I should just figure out how to let it go. But is is the idea of what is uh, you know what are machines and and AI going to do uh, that we've been doing that the humans have been doing? Um, what do you think about AI and IA? AIIA.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you know, I mean, this is a conversation that's been happening as long as I've been exposed to any of these fields. Uh, I mean, certainly for me, going back to grad school in in the uh, late 80s, we were having the same conversation. Um, And I I think AI is more powerful than the, the, the skeptics among whom I count myself, imagined it would be. But I also still think that it's got its power in fairly well defined domains. It's always, I mean, language is, is domain uh, or context uh, dependent, how we interpret language, how we understand language. And I don't know if that is ever going to be cracked by AI. So I think maybe what the people working in AI have done better and better is cracked the nut of, of really defining contexts better or domains better. So domain, uh, we used to look at domains as being subject-oriented. So there, there's a domain of biochemistry, and language means certain things in biochemistry, and it means different things in a different domain like, uh, like a psychi- a psychology. Um, but I think we're starting to define domains in new ways now so there is the domain of light conversation like the light conversation that you might uh, use to initiate interactions with alexa that's a different domain and i don't know if we used to think of those as domains if you can define that sort of conversation starter language as a domain you can build ai more effectively for that domain does that make any sense
1: it does. So you're, you're saying actually, I mean, I was kind of asking the question about whether AI would take over you know, the design of information architecture. But interestingly, I think you're saying that one role of IA might be to assist with artificial intelligence.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, so you have to figure out the domain. What is a domain? What could a domain be? And, and the more narrow you go, the more effective AI is going to be. Someone, I'm not saying it's just information architects, but we can certainly help, have to understand what the domain could be, and that's largely dependent on understanding humans and, and having some research skills that help you do that. Uh, we also have to figure out what is the in- inherent structure or, or syntax that emerges from that domain and and that's certainly something that um, I think IA people can help with because we're pretty good content modelers but you know uh, linguists are really important for that as well especially computational linguists
0: and and others as
2: well and then there's the domain switching that I think is a real challenge so you know when you want to change the subject in a conversation a lot of humans have a hard time keeping up And, and you change the subject and suddenly you're getting that, that quizzical look on on other people's faces, and you you say to yourself, "Oh, I just uh, uh, I just came up with a non sequitur." Uh, that's domain switching, and I, I think there there's probably a lot of interesting design work in order to help AI understand or the systems that act, help us access AI, AI to understand that type of uh, domain switching. And I don't know if I, IA people should be helping there, but you know, we're people who work with information and people, so I, I like to think we're going to have a uh, something to contribute to all those challenges with AI. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's you. you got you got my head spinning.
2: If I got <laughs> your head spinning, then I'm worried.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not supposed I'm to worried happen. Worried if my head is spinning. <laughs> no, I just think it's it's fascinating. I think that I think that people and I will count myself in this group, people who actually don't you know, live and think that deeply about information architecture, and I'm sorry to say I'm probably one of them. Um, I, I think it's easy to put information architecture in a really little box. And to think that, oh, I know what that is. You know, that's... Uh, um, deciding what categories you should have at your website, mm-hmm. and you know that's what you think IA is. That means IA means uh, I'm going to do a card sort on my next project. You mm-hmm. know, and and so it's in this tiny little box, and not to realize uh, that it's it's bigger than that, and and has more important implications for that than that. And I, I think it, uh, so So it's just one, you know, it's, I think it's an example when you know a field really well, like you do, you know IA really well, um, and you forget that the rest of us out here uh, don't know it that well, and then don't, it's just not on our radar, you know? And well, I think,
2: you know, there's just some other issues, though, right? I'm sorry to interrupt you, though.
1: No, no, go ahead. Well, You
2: know, I see the parallels between, you know, librarianship of a couple decades ago and IA today. You have a a community of people that are really not that good at promoting what they do.
0: What Uh, they do is complicated.
2: And, well, yeah. And then the other thing is, like, you're talking about highly intangible stuff, highly conceptual stuff that's really only noticeable when it sucks, It doesn't, you you know, you don't notice IA when it's successful. You only notice it when it fails. And, you know, that really makes things hard. And there's other fields like that. You could argue technical communication. People have been, continue to be uh, living in this difficult space that I'm describing. Uh, I wonder if the content strategists uh, are, are starting to feel that way as well. Uh, we can keep rebranding ourselves and renaming ourselves, and, and that will help us for a while. Um, but very soon, those framings and those labels start to become chains, and you you, you define a practice which is helpful for a little while, uh, but it becomes like certification. In fact, it often leads to certification. Well, what happens when the field changes, and you're shackled by? Uh, uh, the, the the idea of what it should be from a decade ago, because you know someone in, in a certifying body or in an academic setting has finally caught up in, for a and for point and planted a flag and said this is what it means to be an information architect or a, a technical writer or, or what have you. You know we so we're we're constantly fighting this battle of trying to march ahead in expanding our practices and and what types of problems we can help solve while at the same time we're fighting on the other front, which is trying to legitimize ourselves with academic and other credentials and and paint a picture of what we actually do to the rest of the world. Those things are not in alignment for very long, if ever. And then you add in the the conceptual aspects of these types of work and we're, we're constantly feeling... Stressed and mm. and and Like we're, we're failing at, at making a case For ourselves
0: but I think I think that That is kind, I think um, This most of the uh, Of the kind of I, I guess I can call it an industry or the, the subjects that Orbit around um, Anything regarding design I think Really feel this pressure because There is this giant Star that is The UCD there's this like some like there's this, this industry recognized process that this is kind of how things are and everyone knows the steps and maybe people don't follow it but there's like this like this 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 standard of this is what the industry is this is what we do this is you know and then and then there are lots of sub subgroups um, and I think that that is by and far the exception rather than the norm and you look mm-hmm. at you know you look at agile wh- what does that mean every single company is doing, they say, we do Agile. Everyone says they do Agile. It's all different everywhere. There's 16 different competing things. You can do Agile in UX, even though it has nothing to do with UX. You can do Agile in programming. It's just like, it's like this giant mashup, but it's very popular. It's almost like if information architecture like became like a but like a silicon valley buzzword and so everyone wanted to use it and they were all using it you know and they all bought your book and they knew kind of what it was but there was like 16 other books and they had different terms and uses and so it's just it's like this giant mess and they 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 feel like there's no solid footing but i think that's I think that's maybe the the norm of of most fields and in industries, and it's it's only you know you have to have some sort of giant standard for everyone to rally, you know, plant their flag in and be like, okay, we are in you know this this place. Um, otherwise, otherwise, it's it's hard to do. Not that it's a bad thing. It's that it's just kind of how it is.
2: Well, it's also there's a certain fatigue that we all feel from change, yeah. and some of us feel fatigue because things are changing around us and we, we feel maybe a lack of control and others feel fatigue when things aren't changing or we're not able to change them. So we're, we're facing this right now. I'll be up front with you. The Enterprise UX conference is, you know we're going into our fourth year and we're having a bit of an existential debate internally about what this conference should be right. in 2019. Should we keep doing enterprise UX? Well, you know, there's there are lots of people who do UX in enterprises who've never even heard of the conference. So from a, you know, from that perspective, we should just kind of keep repeating a really successful event, and um, uh, you know, uh, dig deeper into the audience that we know is out there. And from a business perspective, that certainly can make good sense. On the other hand, we're also feeling. The, the sense of, well, but it's, the, the, what's going on in enterprises is, is changing, right. and and we, we need to broaden and bring in the CX people and the product managers and, and other people who really care about the experience who don't necessarily align themselves with UX and, and maybe rebrand ourselves as the enterprise experience conference. Now, you know, like I feel I'm one of those people who wants things to change or I, I feel fatigued. I don't necessarily want to do the same thing every year. Uh, so I want to change it, and other people in my organization feel like, well, if we keep changing it, we're it's wiping us out. Can't we repeat something that's successful right. and, and and just dig deeper into the audience? Uh, you know, so I'm trying to figure out if we can do both. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of this ter- depends on the sort of nature, of the personality of the people involved and what excites them and what feels like a drag. Uh,
0: Susan, do you have questions? Otherwise that was a perfect segue into my um, uh, my 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 previous uh the conference question that i go ahead go ahead so conferences so uh, i i have i have um, a quick question for both of you and then i'll ask your conference question uh talking about talking about change uh you you guys have been around the block in this neck of the woods yeah thanks thanks a lot <laughs> and um yeah right you know uh, uh Susan, did you ever write a book? Uh, okay, I'll 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 just let, I'll I'll never mind. I will I will move on. It was there was there was there was millennial quips in there, um, so I, I'll I'll just let them I'll let them sit. But, um, have do you guys can you guys think back and remember any job titles that were pretty popular that have since, um, uh, moved on that have since uh, com- you know, bec- become. Uh, extinct.
1: In in our world.
0: Yeah, you mean,
2: you mean not? You don't mean blacksmith? You mean like?
0: No. <laughs> <20 years laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's like computer computery, uh, webmaster, y What? Webmaster. Webmaster. Yeah. Any others? Uh,
2: some people would argue information architect. I'm not
1: quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. I mean what you said before. They, you know. Uh, there are, if you look at what the jobs are, they might mention information architecture, but I don't know that they are called. Right. You know, we are hiring an information architect. Katria, I, um, I don't know uh, job titles that are that are no longer there. Um, I are there any? Are there are there still business analysts?
0: Yes. Yes. The business really? anal- Oh my god, a times a thousand. Business. An- so so. I was an econ major, and Lou uh, and and a lot of my friends are business analysts. Oh. all it means is um, here's all of our data. Make pretty spreadsheets so that the mid level managers like know what's going on, and okay. glean insight. That's it's 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 very broad, um, but it's generally, you know. That t- that title as a catch-all that would be like saying, um, uh, it, to a certain extent, it's it, it's like saying like uh, I I I'm a designer or like I'm yeah. a usability designer yeah, right. Usually like your title would be more specific. Um, but yeah. yes, bus- business analyst definitely is still around. Okay. Anything else? I mean, webmaster was pretty good. I I don't know why that went away. I mean, I know I know why it went away, but. Um, I think as a title, having like webmaster—I mean, webmaster is pretty cool. <laughs> just, just my you just memorial. like the
1: master title.
0: I mean, it's great. Like,
1: all right, now did you have a conference question, Gatsby?
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll I'll roll on to more to more serious affairs. Um, I have seen in my you know. Uh, so so, there there's there's weird stuff happening. In the conference industry, if I could, if I can say that mm-hmm. term. it's conference market, I suppose would be a better term. And um, I'd like, I'd like your take on it because it it is both a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, when a, a bunch of years ago, maybe even ten years ago, uh, there were a couple, you know, key large conferences that everyone went to. And you're talking
1: about in the field of usability specifically
0: yes but but also generally i mean think about how big ces was yeah that was the event and what has happened is that there's everyone and their and their you know dog now has a podcast and a conference it's like the two things that everyone has to have and there's just been this explosion in the number of conferences but at the same time in the same way that there's been for example like I talked about earlier an explosion in people doing agile that you've lost the kind of central command and control and so now I mean how many quadrillion UX conferences are there in in the states I I don't even know every UXPA chapter has a conference and there's Mm -hmm. just there's just a trillion of them Um, and what it's really done is it's kind of diluted all the big ones and so now there's just this kind of um, instead of having like these pillars, you know, like CES, where this is where everything gets released, there's right. just it's it's this. Um, uh, what what do you call uh, like when there's a bunch of bacteria and they all grow together and they form like oh, a. Oh
1: yeah, what is that called? Uh, it's like, I know what you're like talking about. It's
0: like the bacteria about. kind of like phlegm ecosystem that they all just kind of exist in. Um, it, it's just yeah, it's just like this kind of like mesh dispersed forever. You're
1: you're saying that that. All the conferences are like a bunch of bacteria.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Yeah,
1: that's really good, Gethy. Uh, they grow
0: and multiply, so it's not <laughs> that's not a bad thing. No,
1: but that it's an interesting point. And, and do, so, so,
0: yeah. So, do, do you think that's a, a, I mean, I don't know if if you it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if you have a take on it. But it certainly um, is a challenge when you're trying to put your you know flag in the ground. Of, this is what we are. And mm-hmm. you're putting, and it's a river where the stuff is sloshing around all the time and there's nothing solid.
2: You know, it's interesting for me. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I helped start a conference in 2000 that's still around the IA Summit. And uh, oh. so I have some experience and, and my company, Roosevelt Media, was doing a couple of virtual conferences on different topics for a year for a long time and, and they're pretty low risk. And around five years ago, my, my staff said, why don't we do a, like an in-person conference, a real conference? And I, I said, I don't know. I, I think we've reached peak UX conference. This is like five years ago. <laughs> and, and then uh, an opportunity to, to put on Enterprise UX kind of fell in our laps. Uh, Rackspace approached us and said, we'll partner with you. We'll give you a venue. Will you make it happen? And sure. we decided to do it. And it was actually a really great thing to do and great for us. And now you know we're coming up on our fourth, and we launched this other conference, Design Ops, and um, it's just changed everything for us. Uh, and you know, so all right. Against so with, with with those biases coming into this conversation, I'd say that you know it, it seems like um, it's too much like there's so many and it's fragmented and where do you go and there's so many to choose from, Um, I would counter and say, well, first of all, they're not all the same. I mean, you know, I've been to some great conferences and I like to think our conferences are among them from a production perspective and a programming perspective. And I've been to some really bad conferences. I've even spoken at some really bad conferences. And so they're not all the same. And I think that's not surprising because it's, a, it's new for a lot of people, and a lot of people decide to, to start putting in conferences, and they don't realize what an undertaking they're, they're getting themselves into. And, it, it, and sometimes it really they-
0: It is a giant undertaking. Unbelievable. And a
2: lot of money can be involved. And I've seen you know, well-meaning people basically ruin their careers uh, uh, through you know not being able to pay speakers when they were promising and, and all that kind of thing. Um so there's that um so they're not all the same. They're becoming more specialized. I mean, think about CES and then think about like all the various contexts that consumer electronics have today.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the do
2: you do you really
0: conference and Yeah, uh, I mean, and...
2: can you really have them in one place? Yeah. Um then I would also say that a lot of the conferences, probably some of the big ones you're thinking of that are associated with uh, professional groups or associations have started to uh, lose their way, partly because the value of those associations has diminished over time. Uh, In other words, we are very clearly becoming less tribal. You know, it used to be a time, you know, and Susan, I'm sure, you know, we, we both went through this, that you went to grad school, you took a certain type of uh, program in psychology or or, or library uh, science. You 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 read certain things. You learned certain tools and methods. You went to certain conferences. You published in certain uh, journals, and that's the way it was. And you were not only discouraged from doing that type of exploration in other areas. It was unheard of. And uh, you know what? You're you're you're. You're not going to the uh, the ALA annual. You're going to (laughs) go to this event on on uh, uh, you know uh, programming. What the what's wrong with you? And and now it's you know I mean think of UX. Think of all the tribes under that umbrella and how UX now itself is mixing with all these other areas and uh, you know so so there's a lot of like looseness about how we affiliate ourselves that wasn't there in the past. And, and we have more choices because it's cheaper to, you know, even though it's a big commitment, you, it's still easier and cheaper to put on conferences today than it might have been even 10 years ago because of technology, because of easier ways to market and so forth. And then, and then, out of all that, um, people need ways of making sense of their work and how it fits together. Uh, with other people's work in the world. So if you're doing design today, it's not like, you know, there's this guidance. You know, you go to the same grad type of grad school, you, you read the same publications, you go to the same conferences. This, it's That's all out the window. Who are your peers now? Who do you learn from? You need people to work together and understand and come together with to make sense of what it is you do. And so conferences are probably the best way for people to do that when we put on design ops last november we had no idea who was going to come and how many people were going to show up it was a real risk but we had the feeling that there were enough people out there that were trying to essentially work as coos for design organizations and struggling that they would come even if it was a new conference because they are looking to make sense with other people of what it is they do and we see conference programming as as a exercise not only in sense making but in, def, in defining so like i used to say when everyone when someone would ask me how do you define information architecture?" and i just like i don't know i i don't one <laughs> you know like can we not can we throw out the dictionary approach to defining things that are large and complex because that's just it's just silly why don't we look at other exercises in definition, like a conference program? Is it not exercise in definition? Look at the conference programs for IA. Look at the, the things that are being written, books and so forth. That's really a way to define, and make sense of what these new areas are. These very interdisciplinary areas where the boundaries have come down, and I see, you know, I see that even more now. Now, this tell you one more thing. I know I'm giving unbelievably long answers here, but you really got me excited here. <laughs> um, I wrote a piece in Medium when about four years, five years ago, because uh, it was called How to Organize a Conference. And I wrote it because I hadn't organized a, a modern conference. I had done IA Summit 15 years earlier. Now I had this opportunity to program Enterprise UX and put it on. And uh, so I, I went to all the people I knew that were putting on conferences, and I asked them questions. And they were very generous with their advice. And I, I, the, the article is basically a write-up, or a, a summary of all the advice they gave me. I cite them all, probably about 30 people giving me advice. And every week, Medium sends me the stats for my Medium postings. And that article has gotten so much traffic, and it's growing, it's my indicator of the market for people who are thinking of organizing conferences.
1: <laughs> In fact, yeah, if you
2: Google how to organize a conference, it's probably the first thing that's going to come up, and it's it's insane. But I think it says something that people are desperate to make sense of what they're doing together. New things we need people to come together to make sense of them, and that's conferences are a perfect way to do that.
0: I think, um, and my my intuition about why there's been such a a fracturing and I'd like to get both of you's opinion on this is that, you know, back in the day you could, like you said, you go to college you become a specialist and then you get hired to work in that specialty and in the, you know, today most of the firms we go to um, the people who are, for example, doing UX they do graphic design and they do sales a little bit and they work with clients and they do uh, they, they do programming and they have to they're like they're doing, you know, in their project management. They're like they're they're running yeah. all these hats at the same time. And so they to a certain extent, um, can't care about the specifics of maybe what their uh, edu- you know, what they were educated in their field in because that's not what their day to day is. And that's maybe why you're seeing that loss of tribalism because everyone's becoming a generalist. Um, or we have to at field.
2: least stretch beyond what we what we were trained to do. And I mean, you know, I, I think, I mean, there's no secret that a lot of people in the field have been professionally trained or, are desperate for what are oddly called soft skills. Yeah. How to
0: yeah.
2: communicate, how to negotiate, how to lead, And the
0: legal field, which I went, I, I'm, a, I'm an attorney, um, though, by training or by, mm-hmm. by uh, not, not by practice, but, um, and, and the hot, yeah, soft, soft skills, uh, how to you know, how, learn how to be a business person so that you can succeed in law is, but is like, is, is all, is all the rage in that specialized industry as well. Well, how to
2: listen to people. I mean, yeah. and really, it's like, yeah, we, we weren't taught any of this. And even the programs today, that purportedly are at the forefront of training, let's say designers are still really notoriously weak in areas like this. Do you think General Assembly is really teaching people how to, you know, how to listen <laughs> and how to lead? I mean, I'm not sure they should, but on the other hand, they're they're saying, you know, you, you take our program and spend your fifteen thousand dollars or whatever, and you'll you'll get a great job. Well, you know, I don't know. If you can't do those things, that that won't take you past the first year or two.
0: And then on the other side, you have, you go in, you know, we go into these companies and, um, you know, there are these developers who, you know, went to school for hardcore development stuff and they're, you know, bosses that be come down and say, hey, um, you guys are the uh, uh, design department, so come up with some good ideas Um, and, and, like, they have to learn about UX So, like they—they're becoming generalists, uh, Mm -hmm. not—not just on the UX side, but but from the dev side as well.
2: Now, imagine the discord in a person's mind when they um, (laughs) invested so much of their time (laughs) and effort to become a specialist, and then they find themselves in the workplace and find that, you know, there are few avenues to stay a specialist. And even in those avenues, let's say you become a senior practitioner in X, yeah, you know that's. You hit. You the become ceiling a big manager. In your manager. Well, or you, or you, you just hit the ceiling, and you, yeah. you know, you're you're a really, you're a really good information architect. You're a really good in, uh, interaction designer. You can't really advance. You can only be a really good one, which means, by the way, you are a really expensive one. And at some point, <laughs> you're going to be too expensive to carry. Yeah.
1: Yep. Oh, you You guys are just depressing. All right. I have. <laughs> I, have <laughs> I am. I have some questions. I'm an economist. For, uh, it's the dismal science. I'm, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah, because before we we started recording, uh, you made a a comment, Lou. You said, "Yeah, we could talk about how we do user research for our conferences." Sure. So, so since we're talking about conferences, what does that mean? What kind of research do you do?
2: You know, I mean, so uh, you know, the serious user researchers out there uh, will probably say, "Well, that's pretty light." Um, And and so I'm I'm obviously trying to inoculate myself against that before I even explain by saying, yeah, well, you know, take a look at how many conferences do anything in terms of user research and then come back to me. But um, so let me give you an example. Um, We see the conferences as products and we're a publisher from from the get go. So, you know, just like our our books take time and iteration and they take the expertise of many people, not just the author, to get them into a um, publishable stage so that they can actually become products. We see conference programs the same. And so um, while it's tempting to just say, we're gonna have a conference on X and who's really smart and, and well-known on X, let's get them and have them show up and give their talks. I mean, to me, as someone who's spoken to a lot of conferences, that's what I see. Uh, there's very little uh, design or thought given in, uh, to the program as a collective whole, mm. much less preparation for the speaker. It's just show up and give a great talk. I mean, you know, I'm a fairly well-known speaker, and I've I've had I've failed terribly because I wasn't prepared by the, you know, it's partly my fault, but it's partly the conference organizers' fault for not helping me understand my audience and uh, what their expectations were and what would make a successful talk and what wouldn't for that particular event. So we spend the time doing that. Uh, I'll give you an example of what we're doing for Enterprise UX uh, 2018. Um, we normally have um, four themes for every conference. It's a single track conference, so each of those themes is like a, a quarter of the event. It's like a mini conference with its own speakers, its own leader, and so on. And um, what we do what we're, this year uh, is we started by doing um, a substantial effort to survey our audience uh, about what themes they would find of interest and what trends they would find of interest. We actually asked about topics and trends. We did it with an open-ended survey, like you know, a couple questions but open-ended, and got I don't know, two, three hundred responses. And then the other curators and I did the lovely job of combing through those responses and trying to detect patterns we came up with patterns we came up with four themes Uh, and then what we did was we found um, people to essentially be our theme leaders so now we have uh, uh uh you know we've now gone from four curators to four curators plus four theme leaders uh who have input into this process and input into selection But the user research wasn't done yet. Then what we did was we put out more surveys around who you might like to have speak at our conference on these themes. So not just like, well, who do you like, but who would really have a lot to say about scaling design within an enterprise, or about how enterprises can go about investing, that's another theme in uh, design in, in the enterprise. And so we actually gathered, you know, about 100 names of, of people, some self-nominated, but mostly suggested by others who could potentially speak at our conference. Now, you know, one reason we did this was, just like anyone else, the curators of our conference have their own networks and their own name, their, the names of people they already know. You know, what you do when you're putting together a conference, you say, who do I know who would be good for this? Good for that, et cetera, et cetera. And now you just have totally closed down the universe of potential speakers, and you've reinforced your own cultural biases. So that's why you get a lot of conferences where the programs are full of white guys in their 30s, because because they're programmed by white guys in their 30s. We didn't (laughs) want that. So... um, You know, we really are trying, it's not just an issue of of gender and and race and and issues like that, but it's also an issue of just getting outside our networks and getting into, you know, maybe there's people out there that are doing really interesting work that we just wouldn't normally come across. So we're trying to have a diverse program. Now, we've got our hundred names, we sit down with our theme leaders, We we comb through the names, and we look at their, you know, why, you know, why were they submitted? What's interesting about them, and how do they fit together? Okay, we've got to come up with three. We are um, in the process of doing that right now. Three speakers per theme, twelve total, and um, they have to fit together. You can't have all the same kind of perspectives, uh, uh, um, you know, represented. And that's part of the goal of having a diverse group of people speaking about the same theme. When you sit down in a systematic way and look at them together, then you're actually looking at the pieces fitting together, rather than, oh, we started with so-and-so, now let's get another person, and then let's get another person, and, you know, it's not really systematic that way. If you do it all at once, you do it in a more systematic way. Next. Um, once we have our speakers, which we're going to announce hopefully in uh, early February, we have our, our. We don't even have a program yet. We just basically have our speakers and our themes. Then what we do is we get our speakers to work together with the theme leaders over four or five months where they come up with a bunch of ideas together. They brainstorm. They're not bringing canned talks necessarily. They're saying, well, what's really interesting about what I have to say about this theme? Here's my ideas. What are your ideas? And you look to see how those ideas fit together or don't fit together. And you know if, if they overlap too much, then we need to adjust. If they're too contrary, then that's okay. We just need to be ready for that. You, know, you can have people on a, on a program with very different perspectives. You just don't want them to ambush each other. So we have them iterate. And eventually, they give a dry run of their talks a few weeks before the conference, and they hear each other. And um, they're facilitated by their theme leader, and they're guided the whole way by the theme leader, but they have learned from each other, and their talks fit together. And it's a cohesive product. And then as a final touch, we have our speakers work with a speaking coach toward the end to make sure they've kind of dealt with the, you know, various little uh, nits that can uh, make a, a presentation less interesting or come off less professionally. So it's so it's an involved process that involves user research it also involves uh, the the equivalent of book editing over time and we think that is something that really distinguishes a conference it's not just throw a bunch of people together and hope for the best
1: Yeah you know I I um it's it's really a program then you know more yeah. than just a conference I remember um well, I think a lot about conferences because, like you, I speak at a lot of them, and and from the uh, and the, you know, and I I attend some of them, and I attend some of the ones I speak at, and then attend the rest. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to have the point of view of what it's like as an attendee versus what it's like as a speaker, because that's a different, really different experience as well. But there are just. Uh, there are so many things in the in the interaction design of a conference that I uh, you know are so critical to to what the experience of the conference is, either from the speaker point of view or the attendee. And I mean, I'll just give you one little one that um, that i that you made me think of when you were talking about you know the speakers working together and seeing each other's talks and uh, ahead of time and so on. It's just the conferences where um, there is a deep interaction of the speakers uh, uh, during the conference and uh, and maybe even after the conference and at, at least some before the conference mm-hmm. is just so from a speaker's point of view it's such a different experience. I remember the the uh, I attended the first I, I spoke at the first. Uxlx conference, mm-hmm. you know that. Oh, conference? what a Oh, yeah,
2: i I I spoke. You to know Bruno,
1: conference. who yes. put that on. He, yeah, he
2: defines uh, the speaker experience. Uh, he's, he, they do the best.
1: They, I, I remember the first, and I was on. Uh, I spoke at the first one, and uh, Steve Krug was there. Your your dear friend, and and uh, a wonder, just such a wonderful person, and and I had known Steve before, but then there were lots of people there that I didn't, you know, I had either known of but hadn't met. Um, or people I didn't even know, know about, but he does, you know, the, the things he had as do together, uh, the speakers and, and the fact that we were able to interact together before the conference started, mm-hmm. um, and then during and then after you know we were we were able to attend each other's workshops and you know oh i was thinking things-
0: some sort of like uh bond you know the survival bonding camps where <laughs> they uh, they take you they take you out into like the snowy woods and you have to like start a fire together no
1: no not quite that much although mm. we did have an interesting experience the the day uh, the, after the conference that really bonded us but you know what happened there's just you know it makes everything come to even the conferences where you just at at least uh, you you go out to dinner the night before and meet I mean there are so many conferences where you never meet the other speakers unless you happen to you know run into them in the green room or something Um, and so the the you know it changes the whole feel for the speakers and therefore I think for the attendees when you have that that cohesiveness and it it uh you know it makes the from a speaker's point of view it makes the conference really memorable i mean i have i have long term friendships from these some of these conferences exactly that that are so important to me and mean so much to me and it's it's because we had a chance to interact and i you know there are many conferences i speak at where there is no opportunity to do that there's none. I mean, and, and I'm a, I am find it really interesting. Like, um, you know, we, I'll, you'll be talking to the conference organizer and preparing, for, you know, doing all the things you have to do before you speak. And they'll, you know, I, I've recently spoken at some conferences that, that um, where they say things like, uh, well, just, you know, just come in the night before. You know, we're just going to pay for like, you know, we're going to pay for your hotel just the night before. Right. And it's like a two or three day conference, but they're not going to pay for your hotel for any of the other nights. You know, so and and I, I remember talking to this one organizer and saying, so do people do your speakers usually like stay and listen to the other speakers? Oh, no. She no. said, you know, they you just come in, you give your talk and you leave like they don't even stay the rest of the day. And I was like really? They don't, they don't? I don't,
2: I don't I, get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? I mean, I, I stayed. I wanted to hear the other talks, but it was so disjointed. I mean, you just kind of like, uh, you know, got up on the stage and gave your talk and left the stage. And then, you you know, as far as they were well, concerned, you were done.
2: You know, I mean, we when we tell speakers for our conferences about the, the, the expectation of prepping in advance and working together. You
1: lose it, people. Well,
2: we definitely get people say, you know, you're not paying me enough for that. <laughs> and uh, why should I do, well, I don't want to do that. Or they, they, they pay lip service and then they don't really follow through. And, yeah. you know, we can't always predict that obviously. And it's tough, but, and I get it. I don't really particularly yeah. want to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, getting, giving, getting ready to give a talk to me. You know, hell is making slides, but um, the, you know i've had speakers come to me at our conferences who, who say you know what i was really skeptical when you asked me to speak about how much work it would be and i now have learned something i didn't just give a talk i actually developed my ideas i also learned from other people yeah. and i've got some relationships that i think are going to last well after the conference and yeah. like you know as a conference organizer that's that's the best thing you can ever hear that is the best thing at least from a speaker
1: all right, you have to tell us about um, design ops. I don't even know what that term really like means, and I'm not going to ask you to ident- to to give a definition because we know that's I can that's try. No, case. but you could just tell us about the, you know, describe for instance the conference and who's speaking and what the topics are going to be on if you if you want to as a way to describe what that means, but
2: Well, I wish I could do that for the one in November that, or yeah. in October. We're just we're not at that point yet. Yeah. But um, with design ops, uh, the the first one we did um, in uh, that was last November in 2017, and uh, I think it was as late as May or June that we were deciding that it was something we were going to do, which is pretty fast.
1: That's pretty fast. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. It's pretty risky. Not ideal. No,
2: but we we were getting whiffs. From a lot of different places and people, that there were, you know, that design organizations in, inside of large companies and and other enterprises were reaching a critical mass, where they were large enough and complex enough that there were substantial operational challenges to helping them succeed. So you know, your IBM, your Capital One, all of a sudden you have four hundred or thousand or more people in your design organization and it's like a company it needs you know you have to think about recruiting and onboarding and maintenance and education or uh, re- retention i should say not maintenance and education for your people uh you have to think about the systems that your people are going to need to be successful whether it's pattern libraries or design systems or systems for scaling up user research um there there's um Principles, that should be the, the way you guide these organizations and their people. You know, the values are important. There are um, ways of structuring these organizations, just like any other organization. How centralized, how how uh, decentralized, hybrid systems. You know, these are all issues that are ultimately falling into the lapse of People that might be called uh, design ops uh, managers, or they might be called uh, uh, chief. They may be called chiefs of staff to whoever the design leader is. Um, they might be called COOs even for design organizations, and they um, are struggling because no one has really stepped back and said, "This is the thing, and here's what's involved, and more importantly, here are people like you. Go learn from each other." And, um, you know, so we said, let's make that happen and let's bring in three types of people to speak on our program. Let's bring in people who are working in companies, let's say like, um, Pinterest or Etsy, where, um, design has, has been baked in from the very start, but they're, you know, like they're, they're maturing and they may not have a strong culture of operations or strong, tradition of operations. Now you have to bring operations into that setting. That's one type of challenge. Another type of challenge, and the second type of speaker we brought in, were the ones who were working in the GEs and the IBMs that are established and do have strong traditions of operations. Uh, But design was new. So how do you then expand those, op- those 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 operations organizations to accommodate design or how do you build a new design ops organization that hooks into or hooks up with the established operations group and then there was another group of people we brought in to speak a third group which were the people who are um traditional operations people uh who uh, was one uh, person was uh, Stephen Pollard, who, who works for Arup in the UK, whose company builds terminals at Heathrow. Talking about operations, not from a design perspective, but just from a, an ops perspective, and what does it mean for design? Or um, Ar- Aaron Hoffman, John, talking about the operations uh, and the and the framing that people in the game design, video game design world use, or. Um, or uh, uh, Crystal Philcox talking of operations from the perspective of doing that inside places like uh, the IRS and, and the GSA. So, you know, that's how we uh, we went about it. Uh, we also had a lot of exercises to help people um, frame what operation design operations meant for themselves. That was led by uh, Dave Gray from X-Plane. And, um, you know, I think we're further along in terms of defining it, uh, and I, I don't... I mean, the trend that I think you've probably seen as well is that a lot of the talent in our field is going to work in-house, typically inside of large organizations. It's part of teams uh, or design organizations. And it's only going to be more and more of a challenge to operationalize mm-hmm. what they do. And as we move from design thinking to, as John Kockel puts it, design doing, we, we need help. And that's what design ops is about.
1: That is a great... Uh, he- that, you did a great job explaining hey. that. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I have one other question bef- uh, before we have to we have to sign off. Tell me about books coming up. Oh, thank you. Um, Media.
2: I have, you know, I'm holding it up, but you can't see it, obviously. No, I can't so, see it, Lou. It's a beautiful book. It's by Kevin Hoffman, who's actually now at Capital One, uh, and um, it's called Meeting Design for Makers, Managers, and Everyone. And Kevin is trying to crack the nut of uh, this horrible thing that we all have to deal with, namely meetings. And if you design them like you design other things, it can be better. And that's what Kevin is is helping us do.
1: That'll be a great book.
2: So that is, uh, it, it, I don't know what our pre-order date is. It's coming out on March 15th. Uh, it should be on pre-order. Oh, so pretty soon. Uh, yeah, certainly by February 15th. So we're, okay. we're coming up fast on that. Uh, then we have uh, Orchestrating Experiences mm-hmm. uh, coming out, I believe, May 1 by um, Chris Risden and Patrick Waddlebaum, who actually work at Cap One now because they're people who came out of Adaptive Path and yeah. they get acquired by Cap One. And uh, that's a book that's, um, you could sort of say it's a UX book, but it's really more of a service design book. It really gets into the orchestration of Not just the experiences, but the people who have to work together to design those experiences as systems, you know, with multiple touch points, spanning multiple uh, media, just like you would expect from, you know, any service design book. But they've got incredible experience in this area that they're sharing in this book. Uh, And then, uh, let's see, coming up next, um, coming up this year, uh is uh I think June 15th will be Jorge Arango's uh currently titled Living in Information. Jorge uh is someone well known in the IA world. He's an architect. Uh he actually was the lead author in many respects of the fourth edition of the polar bear book. Wow. Fantastic guy, fantastic writer, really brought a whole sense of placemaking and understanding uh uh where you are and, and how to make information not just findable but understandable. Uh, often through that lens of place. Uh, he brought that to the Polar Bear book, and now his new book, Living in Information, is really getting into um, how we are actually living and working in spaces where information is all around us. We do really live in information, digital as well as physical, and, and really hybrids. And what he's trying to do is help us understand our roles as designers in developing those environments better by using the metaphor of of place we really are designing places full of information of all these types and to do so in an ethical way so that's going to be a really important guide for helping keep our toes uh to the fire when it comes to designing experiences especially information rich experiences which often what isn't that are are uh, really not trying that really uh, are ethically grounded
1: Lou, I, I, we could keep going, but we can't keep going, but we may have to have you on again at some point. Cause I have this whole list of topics and questions we didn't even get to because, but it was so, so much fun having you on. Tell us if people want you got so much going on with the books and the conferences. If people want to get in touch with you and find out more about any of this stuff, where should they go?
2: Well, um, Rosenville media.com. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, so some of our books are under a new imprint, which because of bad IA is not easy to find <laughs> from Rosenfeld Media. The new imprint is called twowakesbooks.com, and that's where a uh, uh, meeting design and, and uh, living and in information will be published. Uh, we're working on it, but you can always get those from Amazon. Rather, you buy from us, uh, but we get it. And um, for the conferences, enterpriseux.net, designopsummit.com. Finally, uh, I've started a monthly Design Ops uh, community conference call. And those have been really fun. It's free. If someone is really interested in Design Ops, uh, email me, and I'll add you uh, to the uh, invitation list. We're doing it once a month. Uh, my email address is lou at rosenfeldmedia.com. And uh, Susan and Guthrie, it's been an absolute pleasure to, be given the opportunity to yammer on for an hour. Thanks so much. We really <laughs> appreciate it. And great yeah, questions. We, great we conversation.
1: Really, we really enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Thank you. Take care.
0: And if uh, anyone has any questions about anything else, they can email us at info at the uh, Thanks, everyone. And we will talk to you later.